Once we were lost, now we're found, right? So good. Celebrate together. You know, I was thinking about something first service as we were here. And uh, I don't know if you've been watching World Cup soccer. Anybody even watching? It's so fun. It's so fun to watch. And uh, go USA, always, right? But anyway, just, it's, just, it's just fun. What I love the most, I think about, because I'm not a huge soccer fan, but FIFA, you know, the whole World Cup is awesome. When they show, like, this, you know, country that they're rooting for their country, and they're in this big parking lot, and they're watching on a jumbotron, or they're in a bar, and when there's a score or the game is won, everybody goes, yeah, the whole place just erupts. I'm like, man, in the church, we should be like, yes, Jesus has risen from the dead, right? We're like, I guess the front row, you've been at FIFA, you've been at the World Cup soccer, right? Awesome, man. We celebrate Jesus Christ. And so glad that you're here, especially on a rainy day. Could you help me just thank all of our worship team? They work so hard. Get us to a wonderful place where we just, our hearts are ready to hear the voice of God. And uh, as you know, Christmas Eve services are coming quick. We got three of them. We designed something a little bit different this year, 3, 4, 30, and 6. Because we want to give every opportunity, we aligned one more service open. We just want more people to experience and hopefully rediscover Christmas this year. So really asking you to take some of these cards. They're located in the back. You can find them, you know, they're everywhere. And just take a stack of them. You never know, man, at work, you know, just pass it. Hey, I'd love for you to come. You never know where this is going to go. It might go in a back pocket. It might go in a drawer, on a table. And just maybe a week later, some problem or think, yeah, maybe we should go back to church someday. You know, and they, you know, let's go to that Christmas Eve service. And all of it, all of it is just simply to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. So three services. We will not have a morning Christmas Day service. Sunday falls on the 25th. We want you to be with your families that day. And uh, our team, uh, my team here, we, I really want them to be with family uh, on Christmas Day. And so um, we're just going to celebrate Jesus. And if you can't be here on Christmas Eve, um, it'll be online anyway. So you can uh, see there and celebrate Christmas together with family lifting up Jesus. Amen? Yeah, I just want to share with you a couple of quick things, celebrate with you. Um, last Sunday, there were three people who literally came forward and gave their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time. And we helped them to receive the Lord. It's always awesome to see you know, life change, people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And with that, as you know, two weeks ago, the children's ministry Mission Kids is completed. About three quarters percent, we have, you know, 80%, we have a little bit to go, but for the most part, it's open and it looks amazing. If you haven't had a chance to, after service over, just take a look, take a walk through down the hallway. All the classrooms are redone, all new stuff for all the kids. We want families to come to know Christ, and we want so much for families to bring their friends. And so um, this Wednesday, special Christmas party for fourth and fifth grade at 6 p.m., and then student ministries, junior high and high school, are having their respective Christmas parties. I mentioned that to say this. I don't know, maybe you're guests with us, or maybe you have a student, a young person, or know someone that needs to get connected. We have full-on mission kids and student ministries here. We believe in the next generation. We've got to raise them up. And so um, it's all here for you to, uh, to enjoy and also to bring friends. Also, there was a group of folks that went down yesterday to uh, cross the border to a, a special place that we get to partner with. It's called Casa Hogar Belen. It's just basically it's an orphanage for children of about 50, 60 kids. And every single kid, every single child received a Christmas gift from you, from MVCC. And on top of that, some of you were just, just overly generous, and so every staff member received a monetary special gift just to say we love you in Jesus' name, and I want to thank all of you for your love and for your just, just, yeah, just gratitude and thankfulness, just loving Jesus together. 
Can I just say, you know, it's fun being a Christian. It is fun being a Christ follower, especially when we get to do a lot of stuff. Now, there's a whole lot more do's in the Bible than there are don'ts, okay? If you want to write that down, if you want to put that in the chat, those of you that are online, our MVCC family, there's a whole lot more do's in the Bible than there are don'ts. And if we stop getting focused on what we can't do and get focused on what we can do in Jesus, it becomes much more exciting and much more fulfilling. So I, I want to talk to you today about something. It's a tough subject, but I, I want to ask you to be willing to jump in with me and, and climb in this, this page of scripture together in Luke chapter 17. All right, this is going to be a rough one, but my hope is it's going to be a good one. Yeah. I love all of you. You are family to me. I can say that on behalf of our entire ministry team. And so if, if I love you to death, which I do, uh, I don't want to just you know, tell you the good things. I don't want to, well, I want to hurt your feelings. I want to give you some of the tough stuff that God's given us because I want us together to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We all in? Yeah, we love you too, Pastor. <laughs> Luke 17, if you want to hold a spot there on your phone or in your Bible. To set this up, I want to go back thousands of years into 1 Samuel 23 and 24, there was a moment in time that one of God's anointed, who was God was preparing him to be the king of Israel. He was preparing all his life, every step of the way, from shepherding, from being a brother and not getting any accolades, not getting any rewards, but being a lowly servant and never getting any of the rewards that his brother got. He faithfully served God, he served his father and he served his brothers. You know him as King David. King David was being prepared by God to be the next king of Israel. It had been in a special moment anointed of David that he would be the successor, successor to King Saul. Now, those of you that know your Bible, so King Saul was the first king of Israel. And it even says in the Bible that King Saul was a very tall man. He was a very commanding presence. In fact, um, I, I kind of liken King Saul, if he walked into a room, there would be just a little bit more quiet, a little bit of a hush in the room because King Saul is here. And one of King Saul's downfalls is that he loved himself. He loved himself so much he couldn't see the anointing that God had for him to lead his people. And so with all that, when King Saul saw David, who was to be the king, stay with me in this, when he saw David as a shepherd boy and a servant and one who was incredibly artistic and talented, yet David was a warrior, man. He was a fighter. He did not shy away from a fight, and he certainly was not ever afraid of the enemy of Israel. You remember David and Goliath. Well, when Saul saw him, he was jealous of David, so jealous of him because of his anointing that he had the favor of God on his life, that literally David was chased by King Saul for most of his life. King Saul tried to take his life. Now, I believe that God's hand protected David all those moments. But this is what I do know of the scripture, is that God was allowing David to go through fear, running, hiding, relying, confident, Afraid, all those things all mixed up to teach David what it meant to be a leader. And one of the most valuable lessons I believe that David learned was how he could have taken out King Saul, but he relented. Go with me to the scene. King Saul is with his mighty men. He's looking for David, and David and his men are hiding way back in a cave. 
King Saul says to his men, wait out here. I need to go inside the cave. And as he goes inside the cave, he rested. He fell asleep literally. David sees him with Joab and Abishai, two of his mighty men who were in battle with David. These are David's right and left-hand guys. They were loyal to him. When they saw King Saul sleeping, they said to David in a whisper, you can take him out now. We can be in the palace. David, you can take the throne tonight. It's yours for the taking. God said it would be yours. And I believe in that moment, David heard the voice of God through the scripture. For Samuel 24. It says, lift not a hand against my anointed. David had every right. He had, I believe, anger, justification, facts, men behind him to not forgive Saul and wait on God. I want to talk to us today, and when I say that, us, I sincerely mean that because I'm learning through this with all of us here today. When we lose relationship with someone, when someone's wronged us or betrayed us, or there's been some trauma in our childhood because of what somebody else did to bring harm to me, to my family, to you, to this, whatever the case might be, how in the world are we able to forgive the second part of the title that I wanted to bring is there's a power in unforgiveness. There's power in that. When we choose to not forgive somebody, when we withhold, there's an immediate gratification that happens. We feel good. We feel confident. I'm in control. I'm not going to let this happen again. And we can start to justify why we're right and they're wrong. And I'm never going to let this happen again. In fact, I'm going to get revenge on them. I'll avoid them. We can even justify our actions of unforgiveness, thinking that we're in right with God. And Jesus said some very, very, very pointed words about this whole subject of unforgiveness. Go with me to one more place. Jesus is making his way into the garden, the Mount of Olives. He's hours away from being arrested and crucified. They will beat him. They will scourge him. They will torture him. They will spit on him. They will blindfold him. The Roman leaders will punch him in the face and say, you're the son of God, prophesy who hit you now. Terrible things to Jesus. All because he loved us. He went through all of that. And I just want you to climb into this with me as he is literally in the garden and there is sweat to the moment of the intensity where there is blood that's dripping from his brow because of the intensity of this moment. God, if there's any way, could this cup pass? Could you, could you align this so that I don't have to go to the cross? Is literally what he's saying. And then, of course, he comes to a place of alignment. Not my will, God, but yours. I will do it because of my obedience and my love for all of humanity. Now, here's, here's the thing that I don't understand, but I'll just receive it in faith. Jesus was thinking... I am convinced because he's God, he was thinking of you. He was. Amen. And therefore, when Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, 
threw in a bag 30 pieces of silver over to the religious leaders, selling the son of God. Are you kidding me? Selling God for 30 pieces of silver? The ultimate betrayal? And Peter, who said, Lord, I'll die with you. I'll go to the cross with you. And Jesus says, man, you're going to deny me three times. If there's anyone on earth that ever had justification for unforgiveness, for holding on and withholding, it was Jesus himself, but he never did. That's where we can get encouragement today about what do we do when we just cannot forgive. Jesus, I, I just want us to see this before we read this text in Luke 17, that he understood betrayal. He understood someone stabbing him in the back. He understood that he had poured into a friend for three years and he denied that he even knew him. He understands. He climbs into our pain. And that's what encourages me and I hope encourages you to climb into obedience with God even when it hurts and even when I don't want to do it. God, I choose faith and I will do it. I I just wonder if there's anyone here, someone here this morning or maybe watching online, or maybe listening, that there's been some serious trauma that happened a long time ago, and I cannot get past that. I wonder if there's a parent here today that your son or daughter, you raised them to love you, to love God, to know God, you did all the right things, and they've absolutely turned 180 degrees against you. In fact, to the point where they're retaliating against you and you never did anything to deserve that. I wonder if there's someone that had high hopes of climbing into a business deal with another brother, another sister, and all of a sudden something was wrong with the books and all the money was gone and they were gone. I I just wonder if there was a friendship that started centralized in Jesus Christ in faith And along the way, something happened, and that friendship is gone. I just wonder if there's family members that we haven't spoken to in years because of their choice not to, and it hurts me. You really want to dig down deep this morning? Can I just be real with you? Because that's what we're about, real love on mission. When some of us here in this room, who, praise Jesus, I love you, God, I'm committed, and you're, you're doing your best. And there's that gnawing thing in the back of your head that you're the one that refuses to make it right. When we choose to withhold forgiveness, it hurts others, it hurts you and me, and it hurts the kingdom. It hinders the work of God. Forgiveness, I believe, is one of the most powerful attributes and characteristics of who Jesus is. It's also, I believe, one of the most powerful acts that you and I have the ability through the Holy Spirit to engage in and give to somebody else. It is one of the most powerful. One of the things that I'm sure you've heard of, you know, just on, online and social media, because how do you stay married a really long time? I don't know if you've seen the movie back in the day, but when Harry met Sally, let me see that movie. It's a fun movie. Uh, in the beginning of that movie, they have all these older couples that have been married for 40, 50, 60 years, and they give their little story about how they stayed together and what was the secret. And here's what I found to be true when someone asked me that question. How do you stay married? 
And the simple answer, number one, is forgiveness. Because you got two people who are imperfect. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. And if I am not able to step into forgiveness and give that, I'm the one that's in prison. I have locked myself up. So with that, nobody said it better than Jesus. Let's look as we're just making our way through the story and all those scenarios in the Gospel of Luke, written by a doctor who was very detailed. He saw things from a perspective. Remember when the writers of the Bible, the Holy Spirit inspired every single word that they have written down to us today in the 66 books. But they wrote from their own personality and their circumstances and through their eyes, which I love that God uses personality and real people to write the Bible. Dr. Luke was very, very intelligent. He saw things from a doctor's point of view. I also believe that because it comes up so much in the Gospel of Luke, there are two groups of people that were following Jesus for the most part. One of them was the religious group who thought they had achieved righteousness. They thought they had achieved everything that God commanded them to do. It was their attitude, very prideful. And then there were the disciples of Jesus that had given up everything to follow him. So with that, Jesus now gives us a teaching in this scenario with the disciples. And it says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin. Somebody say amen to that. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking you'll arrive. We never will until we get to Jesus, until we get to glory. We'll never, ever achieve that perfection that Jesus Christ promised he would bring us only through the cross and the resurrection. So I'm not saying this as an excuse. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if the enemy's going after you. He hates people that are moving forward. If he can hit one place, he wants to do away with God's kids. He wants to hinder you and stop you. And if he can get you to stop forgiving and stay in your own world, he will have won this tiny war. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of those little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. What he's just stop here for a second. Can we just go back really quick? What he's saying really clearly is this that this will happen. Relationships will go south. People will get wonky. Things will go happen. Things will happen. I may get out of sorts or get out of alignment with somebody. What he's really saying here is those who intentionally do this and will not forgive and not repent, it's better they have the visual of this millstone tied around their neck. Pretty strong words from Jesus, but I want to make sure I'm sobered up spiritually to hear what he's saying because I certainly don't want him to fall into this category. Amen? And then he's saying this, little ones fall into sin. That is not a direct reference to children, although Jesus also said that in other places, but I think he's widening the scope for us to understand. We are all God's children when we step into relationship with Jesus, and anyone that hinders somebody else from getting to know God, you better be careful. Did you hear what he's saying? When I choose to not forgive, if I choose to hold on and withhold that, I am becoming a stumbling block for someone else to know God. So he's saying, settle matters quickly. Rebuke that person. That context is really meaning, it sounds like a strong word. It doesn't mean going yelling at somebody saying, you need to make it right. You're the one that blew it. We need to get this thing. He's, he's saying this in gentleness and love and respect with other places in the Bible. He says that. What he's saying is settle matters quickly. 
Don't wait around. Things just don't get better by themselves. It doesn't. Now let's go on to verse four. He has the next uh, truth for us. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, it's hard words, but it's truth. You must forgive. Okay? The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. I, I find this kind of funny because I really think in, 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 in every Bible version, it's said a little bit different, but what they're really saying is, Jesus, I can't do that. There's no way we could forgive. Seven times a day, they keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and I see them do it to somebody else. Have you ever had a scenario where someone stabbed you in the back and then you see them do it to other people? It's like out of control. It's like, ever been vacuuming lately, guys? You're the lead servant in the home. You're vacuuming, right? And there's a piece of lint, and you go over it and over it and over it, and you see the lint, and it won't suck up into the vacuum. But what do you do? Pick it up, throw it down, because you want victory, man, right? And I think we do that sometimes with forgiveness. We control it. We want it the way we want it. And God is saying you must forgive. Now, we're going to talk about how to do this a little bit later, so just hold on. And so... Increase our faith. Faith. If we don't have faith in him, not faith in ourselves, not faith that it'll all work out, not faith in what I do, not faith in what the other person does or doesn't. We're talking about faith in him. Why? Because Jesus was willing to forgive at the cross, right? So the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. You know what, Mike? I just don't have that big, big kind of faith. I he says, man, if you have just, just the smallest of seeds, I can use that. If, if you try, if you try and forgive, I will help you. Isn't that encouraging? That's what he's saying. You could say to this mulberry tree, maybe be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it, won't, it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, here we go. Jesus has given us the how-to, and we'll break this down. When you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. That's what Jesus, Nike didn't come up with that. Jesus came up with that. We understand none of us are worthy. We're only made worthy through the blood of Jesus. When he wrote this, or when he said this, Jesus hadn't died yet. But when Jesus died, it made us worthy because of his perfection. We are servants who have simply done our duty as the analogy. I love this for so many reasons. But can I just focus in on one thing? I'm just like the disciples God, I can't do this. Can I be real with you? I don't want to do this. Because if I forgive, and then if you want me to go to that person, which we'll get to in a second, if you want me to go to that person and make it right, it feels, I'm the one that feels dirty. I'm the one that feels, that, that I, I feel like I'm saying to them, what you really did didn't matter. And if you want to get away with it, again, you can. It feels that way if I'm going back to that person and forgiving. Well, I'll wait for that person to ask me to forgive. When did Jesus ever do that? In fact, in Romans chapter 5, 
God demonstrated his love for us all in that Christ died for us, period. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He extended his arm to us. In fact, I think it was Jesus who saw when he was dying, Mike, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, the disciples that ran from him. At the cross, there was only one, John. Father, forgive Mike, for he knows not what he is doing. Question then, how in the world could I withhold forgiveness when I have received the mercy and grace of God? I, I, I want us as a community of people, as Christ, as a team, I want you and myself, I want us to make a decision today, but more than just a decision, I want it to, I want it to just fall down into your heart. I want your heart to melt. I want your heart to be engaged with it. We had, I had some friends that, this is about five years ago. You know when you build some new friendships, you just kind of get to know them and Things are kind of fresh. It's like dating. You know, the first few months are like really fun when you start dating. And then after a couple of years, reality sets in. Well, it's the same way with friendships. You know, it's fun to have friends and you go out and do things. You just kind of get to know one another. You see all the positives and everything. And that's just, that's just how it works. And we had been friends for a few years and did things together and all that. And um, they said, could we talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. We had a meeting. I didn't, know what was, I didn't know what was up. I had no idea what this was about. All of a sudden, they start railing on me because you don't talk about Donald Trump enough in your sermons. You need to tr- talk about Trump, Trump, yeah. Trump, Trump, Trump. I said, well, that's not, my, that's not what this calling is for. This is for the word. We don't get political. That's not the focus. That, that's not, who's in the White House is not more important than who's in your house. That's, I, was, I was thinking that. I was thinking that. And can I just tell you this, that... We're leaving, and we're taking, they didn't say this, but they did it. They took three families with them away from Missionville Christian. Can I just, it, it wasn't just that they left. It was like, we were friends. I'm kind of simple-minded. I've, I say to my wife all the time, my problem is I'm dumb, because I really believe, like, when we become friends with somebody, we're like friends for life, right? Yeah. We're like, that's just, that's just kind of how I am. And so when I was a kid, you know how they do the grades, grade in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade? You get grades, and then you get the unsatisfactory or satisfactory or over and above for gets along well with others or plays well with others. I wanted to get that good grade. I wanted to get outstanding and plays well with others. I didn't care about the grades. I just wanted to play well with others. And I think Christian life is, should be like that. So I'm dumb enough to think that, well, we're all just... The reality is friendships and even sometimes marriage... Any relationship, there's no guarantees that it's going to be forever. Man, I had to learn the hard, still I'm learning the hard way. So, when you see them at Costco, (laughs) and Pastor Mike, are you going the other way? Because it's just easier to avoid it. Are you not returning phone calls? Are you not responding to emails because it hurts too much? This is where we start to justify. I'll never get hurt again. I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm not getting into that situation again. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is gently pushing us and leading us. I want you to learn 
what Jesus did. Jesus, I, I no longer call you servants. Didn't he say, I call you friends? And they turned on him. Jesus understands that. He knows what we go through. He understands. I know the pain runs deep, but I know this also to be true from the Bible. Humble people consider others first so they may know God. That's the real point of the text this morning. The text is don't be a stumbling block for someone else to know God. Don't be a stumbling block for someone else to know the beauty of community of church. Someone who, oh, I don't want to go to church again. I'm never going to do that again. I got hurt, or they just wanted money, or the secretary ran off with this, and the worship leader did this, and I'll never do church again. And if we don't forgive somebody, we may be a stumbling block for them to come back to church. People want to see a sermon. They don't want to hear one. So how do I do this? That's the real. God, give me faith. Help me to get this, because I can't get this. I cannot do this on my own. And I'll be honest, there are some situations I don't want to do this. And so here's how I, I, I'm learning through trial and error. And here's what Jesus Christ gave me. You ready? You ready? Okay, forgiveness is not. If you're taking some notes, it's just however you want to remember this, I just want to ask you to grab onto this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I think we think if I forgive, then I got to forget it. It's impossible. We're human. I remember things. I can't forget everything. So I'm going to not forget everything that they did or forget the circumstance, but I'm able to deal with it. We'll get to that in a second. Forgiveness is not always fair. It's not. Well, because I really want them to get theirs. They need to pay for what they did. They took those, they took a half a million dollars from me. They took my heart. They took my soul. They took the kids. They took the house. They took, are you kidding? They took the business. They took my, my heart. They took the friendship away from me. It's not always fair. If we forgive, it's just not. I know that's hard to hear, but that's the reality. I cannot choose to forgive somebody hoping, hoping that it'll be all right again. Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's not right again. Sometimes it'll never be right again. But that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He is asking us to obey and trust him with faith and do it his way that he will take care of all that. Let's talk now. This is the good part about what forgiveness is. You ready? Giving others what God gave you. That's what forgiveness means. Giving what God gave to you. How many in this room have received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. Amen. Right? Awesome. Why in the world, if I received that, would I withhold that from someone else? And I know the feelings run deep. I know what they did was wrong. I understand that. But it does not preclude me from doing what Jesus called me to do. That's where we really grow as a Christian. Driving on the 91 freeway, I got to do it today to go to a wedding this afternoon. Either I can be in the right lane or I can be in the fast track. I want to be in the fast track. And so spiritually following Jesus, I want to be in the fast track. This is the quickest way to the fast track. A Christian that makes a decision regardless of how I feel about it is the one that gets to grow the most. I will not withhold. I want others to have what God gave. And that's a heart condition. That's a heart condition and it's also a decision. Secondly is this. Forgiveness is not always how much forgiveness they deserve, but how much freedom do you 
Pastor Mike, desire. Remember I said earlier, and you probably heard it before, when we don't forgive, I'm the one that's in prison. If I don't forgive, I put myself, lock away the, the door, and I throw away the key. That's just how it works. So here's something I learned. Here's something I learned yesterday in my men's life group. We have a men's Saturday group, by the way, meets at eight in the morning to nine. All guys are invited. We're just going through the New Testament. Don't negotiate with yourself. Thank you, Chris. Do not negotiate this with yourself. If you start negotiating in your mind, you'll be able to justify so easily not forgiving someone or withholding love or trying again or risking again or giving my heart again. And who's the one that loses? I'm the one that loses out because God may have this incredible thing out here for me, but if I don't, if I don't forgive, I don't get to experience what God has for me over here. So forgiveness doesn't just flow to us. God wants forgiveness to flow through us, right? Because we want people to see who God is. It's as simple as that. Now, question is how? Jesus said some pretty, pretty clear words in, in Matthew 6, 15. And I'll be honest with you. When I say these I don't understand all of this. I'm still trying to figure it out. But if I try and figure it out too much without just obeying, I'm going to be in some serious trouble. He says, if, Mike, you don't forgive people of their sins, I will not forgive your sins. I don't want to get too technical. I don't want to get too theological about that other than simple, childlike heart. Okay, Lord. I'll do what you've asked me to do because I don't want to withhold anything that you want to give to me. Now, how do we do this? You ready to drill down a little deeper? Okay, this is something God gave me years ago. And this, visuals are powerful for me. So if you have that seat back in front of you, little note thing, I would encourage you to take that and just jot down some notes. What most of us do in America, and I will say this, most of us, not mo I don't know, maybe some of us, not here at Missionville Christian, we don't do any of this, but you know, some Christians, this is what we do. We put, this represents obviously our life, the engine of what drives you, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your decisions, the heart engaging with the mind, all those things. We, if we let our feelings run the train of our life, we'll be in trouble. An example of this would be, I don't really feel like getting up today, so I'm not going to go to work. Well, I have to go to work. I don't, I, I don't really feel like going to school today. I don't really feel like finishing that class. It's too difficult. I don't want to get the degree. I don't feel like working for the degree. I'll just, I'll just stop. We miss out on a blessing. So if I let my feelings drive the train of my life, I don't really feel like forgiving. Of course you don't. I don't feel like forgiving somebody who hurt me or hurt my family or wronged me, or says nasty things about me, or tried to take my life, why would I want to do that? Cannot let the feelings dictate my faith, and then put the facts way, way in the back in the caboose of the train. Does, does this make sense? Yeah. And I will tell you firsthand, I am guilty of doing this, oh, maybe once or twice in my life. <laughs> I still struggle with this today. I mentioned first service, there's, there's somebody that I need to go and, and make things right with. And I just got real convicted about this. So sometimes I, and I can justify my feelings. Don't negotiate with yourself, right? No negotiation. I, Lord, you want me to do it? I'll do it. Now, how do I do it? Let's go to the next one. I must let the facts dictate the train of who's running my life. What are the facts? God is on the throne. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, which we celebrate at Christmas time, grew up, died on a cross physically, physically rose again from the dead to atone for the sins of all of humanity. The Bible is the word of God, 66 books written over 1,500 years by three different, uh, uh, three different continents and 30 different authors, and they all point to the same thing. Every word in there is inspired by God. That is, what's, that is truth. Those are the facts. Does God love you? Yes, that is factual. You know that because of the Bible. That then produces my faith. I will choose to put my faith in God in this situation to obey him. Then the feelings come. Sometimes feelings come and sometimes they don't. I will say this. Every single person that's been baptized at Missionville Christian Church over the amount of years we've had, I don't think I've ever had anybody get out, dry themselves off and say, wow, sorry I did that one. No. Because they knew the facts, God loves me. He made relationship with me through the cross and resurrection. I put my faith in Jesus, therefore I'm saved and repent of my sins. And then the feelings will come. Now, after six months of following Jesus, do we always feel the presence of God? No. Do I always feel married to my wife? Do I always feel like she has passion for me and love for me and always want to do the right thing? No, because I'm an idiot. I do dumb things. <laughs> Feelings don't change the facts. The fact is I made a commitment to her. The fact is I made a commitment to him. The facts are we made a vow. The facts are I made a business deal. I signed the contract. I'll follow through. You see what we're saying? Let the facts dictate your faith, which then feelings come and go. And if I feel it, that's cool. And if I don't feel it, that's okay. I had someone say one time, it broke my heart. It was like eight years ago. They said, I'm leaving MVCC. I said, why? To break my heart, dude. Why are you leaving? I'm not feeling it anymore. I think I mentioned this about six months ago. I, I must have done a bad job as a pastor to make you think that feelings are what drive the engine of your train. That was, that's on me. I had to really take a look at, are we going to teach the word? Or are we just going to have a fun feeling kind of faith? It's not about feelings, right? Don't negotiate with yourself. Don't do that, Mike. So what do we do? How do we do this? All right. Jesus was so clear when the disciples said, man, we got to have more faith to do this. If you have the smallest of faith as a mustard seed, man, that visual, Jesus is the master teacher. They understood a mustard seed. Have you ever seen one? It is so small, but God can use that to do something, grow something huge in your life. Number one is this, choose to get this command in alignment, okay? I, I want you to choose today. It's the first time or probably only time I will ever say this. You don't need to pray about this. Don't pray. Just on this one, don't send me an email. Pastor Mike says we shouldn't pray. I said, because you already know. We know what Jesus already told us to do, right? So I want you to make a decision today. I am going to get in. A, I'm not asking you to get in relationship with this person. I'm not asking you to do anything yet. I'm just asking you to make a decision. I'm going to be in alignment with what Jesus asked me to do. Make sense? Yeah. All right. So that people will see God. And hopefully people will see the community. The community of faith is awesome. The church is a great place. It's fun to be the church. And number two is this. Choose to forgive today. Now, I want to say this. Choosing to forgive does not mean you need to jump back into relationship. It doesn't mean you need to jump back over the fence and everything's going to be the way it was. Because the other person might not receive your forgiveness. It's really hard for me. 
to receive that. Because I want to play well with others. And you're going to play well with me. If I say I forgive you and I say I'm sorry, you're going to say it. When my wife and I went to Samoa to do a mission trip with high school kids, when we went down there in the small village of Masafi, I remember they told us the first time we were there, we were just learning about their culture. It was such a, an amazing time. They said, we do not have a word in our language for I'm sorry. I said, what? Then how do you, how do you reconcile when one village does something to the other village? Because they live in these small villages. They said, oh, well, let me give you an example. Some kid threw a rock in the other village's window of a house. They have these follies they live in. And so the family decided that with the child and the whole family, they made dinner, they gave gifts, they did all these, wrapped them up and everything. They went and sat on their front lawn and they sang songs and they gave gifts and stayed there to show they were sorry. Can I just say in our American culture, we make it way too easy to just say, oh, I'm sorry. All right, want to go to lunch now? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just ripped my heart out. I'm not ready yet. Do you see what I'm saying? The other person might not be ready doesn't mean we don't do what Jesus told us to do regardless of what they do or don't do. Does that make sense? Now, here's here's choosing to forgive does not mean you need to get back into the relationship, got to make it the way it was because it may not go back to the way it was. And quite frankly, we don't want it to go back to the way it was on some toxic relationships. It's not healthy, right? Pray about whether you need to take the next step, Okay. This is, I, I want you to be freed up to do something this morning, to obey Jesus and forgive, but then if all relationships we needed to go back and make it right, it's impossible. Some people, they've passed away. Some people, they're far away. Some people don't want to be contacted again. They've unfriended me. They, took, they blocked my calls. You can't do anything about that, but doesn't mean you can't forgive in your heart and say, literally, say to Jesus in your own prayer time, Jesus, I forgive them for what they did. Some relationships need to go to the next level, and some don't. Don't put pressure on yourself that you need to fix it. God will fix it if it needs fixing. And the next one is choose to go on the offense with grace. Choose to go on the offense. I don't know how else to say this other than I was ambushed by God's love. I was literally ambushed by Jesus. I had no idea in 1983 on a Wednesday night going to a big concert with a bunch of high school kids. I was just going to hang out and date some girl. I had no idea I was going to be ambushed by the love of Jesus Christ and hit, literally slammed with grace. I didn't know I was going to hear the message of the cross and that God loved me and pursued me. Can I say this? Don't ever feel bad about pursuing somebody else in love and grace. Don't ever feel guilty. Don't feel bad about that. But in the same respect, don't chase and chase and chase and chase if they've absolutely said no. It's okay to back off and let God do it. Does does that make sense? Now, here's the last one we don't have on here. I I wish I would have put it in. 30-day prayer. I think I mentioned this last year on the same subject. Take that person in your mind. I want you to pray for them for 30 days straight. You bet I will. I'll pray that they get theirs. I'll pray that I'll pray they get in a car accident. Don't want them to die, but I'll pray that they just they suffer. I'll pray they suffer because then they'll know how much I suffered and they brought so much suffering into my life. I want them to hurt as bad as I've hurt. We may not say these things, but right? 
They need to learn their lesson. So God, teach them a lesson. That's what I'm praying for. James and John said it to Jesus. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven? <laughs> right? So God, look, here's a... Someone once told me, God has big spiritual shoulders and he can handle my little fits of rage and my little moments of wanting to get revenge. It's being human. Don't act on it. Some of you today need to go home to your spouse. Some of you need to go to your ex. Some of you need to go to your boss. Some of you need to go to a friend. You ask the Holy Spirit, but you got to do some work, the hard work. And I guarantee you, if you do it in faith in Jesus, he will bless your life. And I just want to close with this. I, I, I've seen this movie probably, oh, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 times. I love this movie. It's called War Room. If you've seen it, the whole movie is about the power of prayer. You get it on Netflix or Prime Video. You, you've got to watch this movie. I would encourage you, if you're married, to watch this movie with your spouse and even kids. It's just a phenomenal movie. There's a short little clip here that for me was the turning point and Elizabeth, this woman who plays a character by the name of Elizabeth, who her and her husband are constantly like this. And most of it was on his end. He was not a Christian and he was, you know, sleeping, he was just messing around and he was not faithful to her, always mad coming home from work. And it was just a horrible situation. She certainly had justification for not loving him and not staying in the marriage. Don't negotiate with yourself. I'm going to keep saying that. She's a realtor. She embarks on a business deal with someone who's selling a home named Clara. They strike up a friendship, a godly friendship. And this is a conversation that happens as Clara says, I want to have coffee with you, Elizabeth. I want you to write down all the things that your husband have done to you negatively, all the ways that he hurt you. Write them down on a piece of paper. And now we're going to pick it up in the middle of that conversation. It's so good. So stay with it. And then we'll, we'll close. My question to you is this. In light of all these wrongs, does God still love Tony? We both know he does. Do you? Now, Miss Clara, you're meddling. <laughs> There's love in my heart for Tony, but it's just buried under a lot of frustration. So he needs grace. Grace? I don't know that he deserves grace. Do you deserve grace? Miss Clara, you have a habit of backing me up in a corner and making me squirm. I felt the same way. But the question still remains, do you deserve grace? The Bible says that no one is righteous, not even one, for we have all sinned. So really none of us deserve grace, but we all still want God's forgiveness. Elizabeth, it comes down to this. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He died for you, even when you did not deserve it. And he rose from the grave and offers forgiveness and salvation for anyone who turns to him. But the Bible also says that we can't ask him to forgive us while refusing to forgive others. I know, Miss Clara. But that's just so hard to do. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But that's where grace comes in. He gives us grace. And he helps us to give it to others, even when they don't deserve it. We all deserve judgment. And that is what a holy God 
forgives us when we don't repent and believe in his son. I had to forgive Leo for some things. And it wasn't easy, but it freed me. Elizabeth, there's not room for you and God on the throne of your heart. It's either him or it's you. You need to step down. Now, if you want victory, you're going to have to first surrender. But Miss Clara, do I just back off and choose to forgive and then just let him walk all over me? God is a good defense attorney. Trust it to him. And then you can turn your focus to the real enemy. The real enemy? The one that wants to remain hidden. The one that wants to distract you and deceive you and divide you from the Lord and your husband. You see, that's how it works. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is stealing your joy. He is killing your faith. And he's trying to destroy your faith. If I were you, I would get my heart right with God. And you need to do your fight in prayer. And you need to kick the real enemy out of your home with the word of God. It's time for you to fight, Elizabeth. It's time for you to fight for your marriage. It's time for you to fight the real enemy. It's time for you to take off the gloves and do it. Every Sunday at MECC, we simply have a moment to just have a moment of quietness and reflection and step into what Jesus asks us to do to remember him, that his grace and his love and mercy was one at the cross. Now, here's what I really sense the Holy Spirit is asking us. Is Jesus said to do this in remembrance, remember? Remember him. But I want to ask you and myself to take in the seat back in front of you, if you'd like to, the emblems there that are just representative of his love and sacrifice on the cross. But what I'm going to ask us to do is step into forgiveness. Not just remembering but stepping into what he has for you. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.